You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you, so let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Welcome to this neighborhood, neighbor. Good morning. Maybe I should say welcome to the neighborhood. And maybe you're saying, what was that little ditty all about? Please, please explain. Uh, well, we thought that this morning we would have just a little bit of fun as we launch into our newest teaching series. The series is called The Art of Neighboring. Um, Fred Rogers, we know him as Mr. Rogers, uh, Uh, hosted 895 episodes of his show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And in every one of those episodes, he began by singing, It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's a neighborly day in the beautiful hood. And what we know about Mr. Rogers is that throughout the run of that show, all 895 episodes, he taught America, both young and old, what it means to be a good neighbor. He taught the art of neighboring. This weekend, as we step into this series, something actually very unique is happening. We're actually joining with other churches in Charlotte and the surrounding areas for a citywide movement. And actually, uh, there are a hundred churches that are simultaneously working through this three-week series, The Art of Neighboring. And the desire is, the hope is that collectively, we can motivate the body of Christ, the church, collectively to be even more effective in learning how to carry out the command of Jesus to love our neighbor. Now, it's true, Mr. Rogers has received great notoriety uh, for teaching us, modeling us about uh, what it means to be a neighbor. There's a movie coming out on Thanksgiving Day about Mr. Rogers, Um, but as great, as much notoriety as Mr. Rogers may have gotten, there is a neighbor who has far exceeded anything that Mr. Rogers has ever taught us, and of course, that neighbor is Jesus Christ. I love to read John chapter 1, verse 14 from the message version. And here's what it says. Uh, The word, Jesus, became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Isn't that pretty incredible? Jesus became flesh and blood and he moved into our neighborhood. I was thinking about that practically speaking this week. Can you imagine practically speaking what it would have been like to have Jesus as your next door neighbor? I mean, you want to add a, a, an addition onto your house? Who do you call? You call Jesus. He was a carpenter. You want to do a kitchen renovation? Who do you call? You call Jesus. He's a master craftsman. I mean, think about this and bear with me on this. Can you imagine the kind of water filtration system that Jesus might put in your kitchen? Think about this. story in the Bible tells us about this. Cold water, hot water, Insta-hot, wine. Wine. 
I mean, he did turn water into wine at, at the wedding in Cana. So I'll just kind of move on from that. You're going to have a big party? You're going to have a great party? Who do you call? You call Jesus because he's been known to feed up to 10,000 people on multiple occasions. If your child is sick and you need a doctor, what do you do? You go next door and you say, Jesus, would you come over? My child is sick. Please come and lay hands on him so that the fever will go because he's the great physician. And of course, I say all of this in jest because the real beauty of John chapter 1 verse 14 is that Jesus Christ... The Son of God, who did not uh, see equality with God something to be grasped, but instead gave up his home in heaven at the right hand of the Father and came down to earth, willingly came down to earth, taking on the form of man, being fully man and fully God and giving himself for us. He moved into our neighborhood in that he moved into our hearts at our invitation. Our heart, his home. The beauty of the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. The beauty of the gospel is that Jesus came to teach us and to show us what the God with us kind of life really looks like. And one of the ways that he did this, it was by telling incredible stories. So I want you to take your Bibles this morning. I want you to turn to uh, Luke chapter 10. And I want to read to you... Uh, a story beginning in verse 25, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. I hear pages turning, so I'm going to let you get there. I love that sound. Beginning in verse 25, it says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So I kind of played around and I said practically what it would be like to have Jesus as your next door neighbor. But this story, this passage gives us great spiritual insight in what it means to be a good neighbor. It gives us spiritual insight into the art of neighboring. Immediately in verse 25, uh, we're introduced to the first character. And the first character is a man who is said to be an expert in the law. He's a scholar in the law of God. He kind of has a lawyer type personality and he presents Jesus with a 
question. And the question uh, wasn't a surprising question. It was a question that was often discussed in public uh, among the rabbis and the scholars. And the question that he presented Jesus was, with was, what, uh, what must a person do to inherit eternal life? Again, it wasn't a surprising question because it had been discussed in public often. And it wasn't even a bad question. The problem with the question was the motive with which it was asked. It was asked with evil intent. It was asked to test Jesus. The thought behind it is it was asked to entrap Jesus. Uh, the scholar in the law hoped to entrap Jesus somehow in his response with something that, that might mar his character or mar uh, his, his integrity. And rather than falling for the evil intent of the scholar in the law, Jesus answers his question by asking two questions of his own. He just says, well, you're the scholar. What does it say? How do you read it? And the scholar said, well, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded and he said, you're, you're right. You're right. Jesus affirmed that that was the way that we are to live. Not only then, but now. Jesus was affirming that you love God with everything about you. You love God with everything in you. And you are to love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself. I want to take a pause from the story for just a moment. And I want to talk about those two, two of the words. Love your neighbor as yourself. I want to talk about neighbor and the word yourself. Let's first talk about neighbor. Uh, neighbor comes from the word nigh, which means to be near or to be close. Because that's the case, then that tells us that a neighbor, my neighbor, is anyone at any time that I find near to me or close to me. It doesn't matter if I know them. It doesn't matter if I like them. It doesn't matter if they know me. It doesn't matter if they like me. If they are near me at any given time, wherever I might be, that person suddenly becomes my neighbor. And let me tell you what's so great about this. It's clarification. It takes out the guesswork. We're going to see in just a moment, the scholar said, who is my neighbor? We don't have to ask that question because we know our neighbor is whoever we may be around at any given time. It's not limited to the person on this side of your house and this person on this side of your house or the person in front of you. Those, those are your neighbors. They are near you. And listen to this, it takes all the guesswork out. And it takes the excuses out. It takes the excuses out that hinder us so often from being the neighbor, from loving others like God has called us to love. Now, let's think about the word yourself for just a minute. Um, with the command to love your neighbor as yourself, there is an assumption that we are to love ourselves. And oftentimes when we think about loving ourselves we actually think about self-indulgence. Self-indulgence is the satisfaction of, uh, of myself, bringing pleasure to myself. Um, I think about self-indulgence as kind of like going to an all-you-can-eat buffet. You go and you go once because you're satisfying your taste buds. You're satisfying your hunger. But then you again begin to indulge yourself, at least I do, because I go back. And then I go back. And then I go back until I'm sick. That's self-indulgence. 
And Jesus didn't say, indulge your neighbor as you indulge yourself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So uh, what does it mean to love myself? Well, to love myself is to deny myself of those things that keep me from living the God with me kind of life. It's denying myself those things that, those passions, those habits, those, those desires, um, all those things that are not in alignment with the God with me kind of life. And with that as the framework, then to love my neighbor is uh, that I want for my neighbor what's best for my neighbor in the same way that I want what's best for me. And here's the caveat. I'm not the one who determines or defines what's best for me. Who does that? God's already done it. God has given us his word and he's defined the God with us kind of life, the best life, the abundant life, the full life. He's already laid that out. And so in the same way that we should come to a point in our relationship with Jesus Christ that that's what we want. I want everything that causes me to be in alignment with the God kind of life, God with me kind of life. That's what I want for my neighbor. I want my neighbor to have everything that is best for them so that they can discover and live the God with them kind of life. That's what loving the neighbor is all about. So let's step back into the story. Jesus responded by saying, you're right. You've answered correctly, but he didn't stop there. He said, now go and do it. And I think that this response rattled the scholar. I, 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 because he's, he's like, he, what? Go and do it? I can't just go and do it. I need more information. Who is my neighbor? I need to know what the boundaries are. What are the limitations? What are the requirements? Uh, he, he, was, he was looking for a, a, a loophole. What is the least that I can do and still be religious? What can I get away with and still look pious and godly? And every once in a while someone can say, look what they did. He was asking, who am I obligated to love? Who am I obligated to love? And here's the challenge with looking for a loophole. God wasn't talking, Jesus wasn't talking about obligation. He was talking about overflow. Obligation is when I have to do something. But overflow is when I get to do something. So Jesus wasn't saying you're obligated, you have to love your neighbor. But Jesus was saying you get to love your neighbor. In fact, you're going to find something welling up in you because of overflow that you can't help but love your neighbor. It's what naturally flows from you. I think about the story of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. They had been out uh, preaching the gospel and healing people. And they got called in by the religious leaders and they said, we don't like this and we want you to stop. And you know what they response was, I guess you're going to have to arrest us again because we can't help but do this. We can't help but proclaim the gospel. We can't help but do good for people. We can't help but bring about the healing power of Jesus. It's what overflows us. And if you want us to stop, I guess we're going to be in jail again. That's how willing that they were. This is the overflow from my heart. The expert was asking, who is my neighbor? 
The neighbor, the, he, he wanted to justify himself because he was looking for this loophole. Who, who is my, my neighbor? And it's interesting because the Jews um, split hairs over who was their neighbor. Uh, and in, in the discussions about who was their neighbor, they excluded both uh, Gentiles and Samaritans. And so uh, uh, this, the, the scholar was thinking, surely Jesus can't be including this whole group in the, in the, in the lot of neighbors. So Jesus, who... Who is my neighbor? And so Jesus answers by continuing on with the story. Uh, he says, there was a man and he was attacked by robbers, stripped of his clothes. He was beaten and he was left on the road half dead. It's interesting because that's all the information Jesus gives. He simply says a man. He doesn't say if he was a Jew. He doesn't say if he was a Samaritan. He doesn't say if he was a Gentile. He doesn't say if he was rich. He doesn't say if he was poor. He simply says he was a man. A man was left on the road half dead. And here's what I believe about that response. Jesus was not going to answer the question, whom am I obligated to love? Instead, he was asking and answering the question, what uh, does it mean for the love of God to capture my heart in such a way that the love of God overflows from me out to the people around me? What does it mean to be captured by God's love in such a way that I can't help but love my neighbors wherever I might find myself? And so to illustrate this, to tell this, to bring this home, he introduces three more characters in the story. He says, well... Um, a, a priest comes by and he sees the man on the side of the road. And what, and what, are, what does a priest do? He teaches people about God's grace and love and mercy. And he sees the priest on the side of the road. And what does he do? He walks to the other side and he keeps on going. And then it says the Levite comes by. What was the Levite? He was a priest helper. So he would have known all of this stuff. But what does he do? He sees the man on the side of the road. And he walks to the other side. And he leaves. But then he says, but then a Samaritan, a Samaritan came down the road and he saw the man lying on the road half dead and he took pity on him. And this was the punchline of the story because the scholar didn't expect this. He would not have expected the Samaritan to be the one who would take pity. He looked on him as a religious compromiser. Surely he wouldn't know how to do this, but yet it was the, the, the Samaritan who took pity on the man lying on the side of the road. And because he took pity, I can't help but believe that the Samaritan began to generate a series of questions in his own mind about this man. What if I don't help him? What'll happen? If I don't help him, who will? If I leave him here, what is going to happen to him? What could I have to do today that is more important? Listen to this. What could I have to do today that is more important than helping this man live? That's a deep question. Because it means he was willing to be committed to this man. What could I have to do today that would be more important than helping this man to live? Uh, the priest and the Levite, they didn't seem to be asking that question, did they? Martin Luther King uh, Jr., as he reflects on this story, he says, the priest and the Levite weren't asking that question. They were asking the question, if I, uh, what's going to happen to me if I stop and help him? But the Samaritan was asking, what is going to happen to this man if I don't stop and help him? And Jesus ends the story with a question and 
with a command. The question is to the scholar, so which of these three men do you think was the true neighbor? And there's only one answer that the scholar can give. The answer is, well, the one who had mercy on him. And then he says, so go and do the same. So this is a story that happened a long time ago, but it completely applies to us today. So as I begin to land the plane, I want to give you a, ask you a question. I want to present you with a challenge, and I want to give you some practical help. My question is, which of these three men, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, do you find you most normally uh, identify with? And just think about your daily life. And going to work, coming home, all the things you have to do. Uh, which of these three men do you find yourself most like? And the question is, could we all be like the Samaritan? Could we all ask the question, what could be more important today than helping this person that's before me and has great need? Is there anything more important? And then... I want to give you some practical help. I want to ask that you would look in your worship guide and that you would pull out this sheet. It's easy to talk about these things and go away. That was so good and then never do anything about it. But somehow, sometimes if you can put pen to paper, it, it becomes a catalyst to help you. So um, who is my neighbor? This is you right here in the middle. If you began to think about, we're saying your neighbors, anyone that you might come in contact with, but let's boil it down to everyone lives around people. At least most of you do. Maybe some of you live on acres and acres and acres, but let's say most of you, all of you live in a development. Uh, so you have neighbors around you. Do you know your neighbors? Or are you victim of the garage door opener? The door opens, you go in and it closes and you never see your neighbors. If so, you got to do something about that. So could you identify your neighbors closest to you? And so actually, I want you to do this right now. I don't want you to do it all. But would you take just a few moments and would you identify four of your closest neighbors? If you don't know their name, you could do something that identifies them. The person with a Jeep in their driveway. The lady with red hair. And then I would say, you need to go find out their names. That's probably a first step. But would you take literally just a few moments and would you identify four of your closest neighbors? You're going to do the rest of this at home. We could play the Mr. Rogers music right now, I guess, couldn't we? You know, what's, what's interesting, reflecting back in this letter that Paul wrote, again, remember, he, he, um, he visited them, and when he came back, he sent a letter. Um, it didn't work. He heard that they were not behaving, so he sent the second letter, which is actually 1 Corinthians. Um, it still didn't work. We actually know from 2 Corinthians that Paul actually uh, made a visit, another visit, a second visit. It's not recorded in Acts. But he, in 2 Corinthians, he talks about the time he came back to them again because they just weren't getting it. He'd had a personal visit, two different letters. He'd sent different people, and they just were really struggling. So he went out, and it says that he had a painful meeting, is how he described it, a painful visit. And... Uh, <clears throat> So it was a come to Jesus meeting, I guess, where he just said, and laid it on the line. And 
We know from 2 Corinthians and the content that we see in there that they finally began to get it because the tone is very different. They finally discovered that the significance in life comes from serving one another, not from being selfish and wanting things your own way. Serving one another is the key. May that always be true for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Let's pray. Father, this morning we've had a chance to, um, again, just to to sing and lift our voices and worship. We've had a chance to give. We've had a chance to talk and share and and laugh at some goofy videos. And uh, Father, again, all of it is because of our love and, and our passion for you and our desire to live out our faith. And Father, even though our faith is incredibly personal, it was never meant to be individualistic. It was always intended to be lived in relationship with other Christ followers. So God, thank you for the people of Grace Covenant Statesville. Father, thank you for what you're building and developing here and that you've called us to be a part of it. And uh, Lord, our desire is to honor you in all that we say and do. Father, if there's anyone here who's feeling a little left out, I pray, God, that an extra dose of grace would be on them this morning. Father, that uh, maybe there's feelings that have been hurt or maybe things didn't set quite right. Father, I pray that you would heal that in the name of Jesus right now. And Father, maybe there's, as we're just sitting here reflecting, maybe, Father, someone comes to mind that maybe we weren't as gracious as we could have been, and maybe we need to go back to them and ask for forgiveness and make sure that that relationship is right. Uh, Father, I pray that you would protect this congregation from those seeds of anger, from those seeds of strife and division, that they would not take root and they, they would die quickly. Father, that your Holy Spirit would protect us as a congregation. So, Father, we thank you again for this day. And, Lord, as we leave this place, I ask, Father, that you would uh, continue to go before us and prepare the way. Father, that you give your people favor with uh, the tasks they put their hands to, with the relationships and the people they meet. Father, that each would be blessed this day, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. And he did it because there's a destiny for you to fulfill in loving your neighbors through the love of God. Simple acts of love and kindness. There's some uh, action steps that you can look at and and begin to take. And hopefully, well, not hopefully, but over the weeks, we're going to come up with some practical uh, suggestions for you of ways that maybe you can just reach your neighbors in just some simple ways. God has placed us in our neighborhoods on purpose. He's called us to love our neighbor in the same way that we love ourselves, that we would want God's best for our neighbor in the same way that we want God's best for us. We can do this, right? It's not in our own strength. It's not in our own ability, but it's dependence on the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do this, right? I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to pray for you as we close today. There will be prayer teams here after service if you need prayer for anything. So please just come and they're not going to counsel you. They're just going to agree with you that the power of Jesus is greater than any need that you have. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for all who are here today. Uh, Father God, we thank you for your son Jesus, the work of the cross. And Jesus, that you willingly came from heaven for us. That you moved into our neighborhood. You moved into our hearts at our invitation. 
and you've changed our lives. I pray that this would overflow from us into everyone we come in contact with. And I pray that there would be renewal and revival that would break out in our region because we're simply following your command to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We commit ourselves to you. We ask that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to make this happen because we cannot do it on our own. So we pray this in the most powerful name, and that's the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.